Hi, I'm Josh Van Berkel. Welcome to the Activate Christchurch podcast. It's our privilege to share it with you. I hope you enjoy it. And if you ever find yourself in Christchurch, pop in and say hello. We'd love to see you. Thank you. It's so good to be here with you guys. Um, we're so blessed to uh, have been able to get to know Liz and Josh. Oh, I totally forgot your name for a second there. Sorry. <laughs> Josh. Of the past wee while. That was weird. I, it's something about you two when you get together, you just throw me. Um, but you've got the most amazing pastors here and just such a blessing to this church. I um, was just listening to your voice and I thought, man, you've got such a great voice. And I think that every time I hear you, Josh, and... Um, I was like, this is a house with a voice, and it's a voice not just for the city, but I believe there's a calling to the nation. And this morning, um, we were in the prayer meeting, and I had a picture for Abel, which I didn't share, uh, and I was just saving it, but Abel, I mean, you, your worship team is like the most phenomenal worship team I've ever heard. Like, you're so good, I actually get distracted in worship, like I'll be worshiping, and then I'll be like, man, that's good. Like, so if you could just tone it down a little, that'd be helpful, because um, you're just way too good, you fellas. But um, Abel, I just seen a picture for you this morning, and I seen uh, the movie Braveheart, and I seen just you with the victory flag and the cry of freedom, and uh, you started singing a song just before about freedom, and I thought, whoa, there it is, there it is. But there's anointing on your voice when you sing. You're not just a talented singer. There's actually an anointing, and even your song choices, I felt... You know, God just uh, reaffirming the prophetic nature of the song choices. Those songs were chosen before the beginning of time. Hey, great to see my friend Nikki here. Sorry, distracted. Um, but, you know, there's, there's such an anointing. And I felt as you sang, that anointing, people were partnering with it. There's, there's a hunger in this place. There's an excitement that's building. And I, I just see them partnering with you and, like, drawing it out of you. I was like, wow, this is an amazing interaction that's happening. So... Um, I just feel like there's an anointing for miracles and it's because you're planted in the house. There's something significant about the partnership between you guys and about this church. And also, um, this morning, Josh and Liz, I feel like this is a house of release and I see a whole lot of ships going out from it. And it's like there's, there's a ministry calling here, but you're actually called to release leaders. Not that one, keep them. Uh, but if you get rid of them, send them to us because I'd really like them. Um, but there's an anointing to build leaders here in this house. There's an anointing for release, and um, I just feel a real excitement. There's a real growth happening. The picture I had before coming here was a puzzle box, and there's an unlocking that's happening, and I feel like there's pieces of the puzzle that have been sliding into place. There's a positioning. Even um, I'm not sure what you've been speaking about lately, but I feel like there are anointed messages that are directing your people into, into place and there's a positioning that's been happening. And I feel like there's a real real cry of freedom in the house and I think that will echo out around, around places. So, amen. Uh, sorry, sometimes I do get distracted. Um, I've got a bit of a prophetic gifting and I often just see things and people. Where is T? Is it Tibor? Oh, now, thank you so much for the coffee this morning. That was great. I, I met you briefly this morning, and I actually, I think we did meet earlier, but there's something about your face. Um, you've got a great smile. But I, I've come away this morning, and I thought, oh, there's just something about you. And I feel like God's really saying there's a real strength about you, and, and, and people are drawn to you. And I feel like there's a ministry calling, but I, I don't know if that's past or 
but God's saying there's more, there's more. And I feel like there's a rising up. God's rising you up and people will be drawn to you. And I feel like God's calling you to step into something more because there's, there's miracles, there's miracles to come. And I feel like you're, you're a bit of a key in, in the situation. So be bold, be brave and uh, love God. Amen. Okay, let's get started and then we'll see what comes. Um, as you heard, I'm from City Church, Christchurch. I'm married to Garth. Some of you will remember Garth. Um, if you don't, let me remind you of a loud guy who laughs a lot. That's, that's my husband. We've got two kids, uh, Eden and Judah. Eden is 15 and Judah is 11. So uh, they keep us busy and uh, at our church, I oversee our counselling and schools ministry. We provide counselling for primary school kids in Banks Ave, and I also oversee our prophetic training. So I'm passionate about the Word of God. I'm passionate about healing. I'm passionate uh, about people being set free. And today I want to share with you my testimony. Uh, just in preparation, I thought uh, I wanted to share it for two reasons. One, because maybe a lot of you don't know me, so I thought it's a great introduction. But it's also, there's power in our testimony testimony. The Bible tells us, um, you know, we overcome the enemy by the blood of the lamb, by the word of our testimony, and that we don't love our lives unto death. And there's great power in our testimony, whether you've had some sort of radical transformation or you've been a Christian all your life for generations, there's power in your story because it's unique to you and God is always moving and operating. And, And I'm excited to be able to share with you today. Amen. So I'm from Invercargill. Yeah. Woo. Who said that? Aha, hey, amazing people come from Invercargill uh, and have lived in Invercargill. Um, it's a great place and there's great people there. Um, if you grew up in Invercargill, you probably know, uh, would have not thought that. You probably would have thought that was actually the place you want to get far, far away from because there's not much happening. And, but it's a really cool place. And I don't have many memories before the age of 10 and I'm not sure why, but I'm not really too bothered. So around the age of 10, I remember that I didn't have a very good relationship with my dad. I remember feeling quite afraid. My mother was quite a fearful sort of person. She worked a lot, so she wasn't around. But I remember just the relationship with my dad was really strained. And so we often would just avoid being near each other. I was pretty shy. Actually, I was one of those painfully shy kids, you know, that you try and talk to and they just, they look like they're about to cry. I was that kind of kid. And... uh, Yeah, just felt quite isolated as a child. When I started intermediate around the age of 10 or 11, I made a new friend who uh, most parents would say was a bad influence. She was from quite a wealthy family and uh, had a whole surplus of alcohol and cigarettes. So we used to get into her parents' stashes and started drinking around 10, smoking, and uh, thought that was pretty cool. By the age of 14, things had started to escalate on that front, and I started high school. And I remember the relationship with my dad just went from bad to worse. I remember he used to call me names. He used to just say really mean things to me. And I I really still don't know why that happened. But there was something about him that just didn't like me. When I was 14, I remember coming home one night and things changed. I'd been out and I hadn't supposed to be now. And I remember my dad, as I walked in the door, he'd just started punching and punching me. And I remember my mum jumping in front of me trying to stop him. And I thought, wow, I didn't see this coming. But my dad had actually come from quite a violent home as well. He'd never shared about that, but he did say to my mum, if I ever hit you or the children, I'm leaving. 
and that was the last time I seen my dad for about 15 years, probably the last time I spoke to him for at least 10 years. And at the time, I was really happy about it. I thought, wow, finally something good's happening, right? But my mum didn't think that. And she used to blame me for, for my dad not being around. Things got hard. So with my new freedom, I, I found a lot of things changed at the age of 14. I got kicked out of school. I'd been uh, not going very often and just getting in some trouble. And they said, you need to leave. And I was like, well, this is great also, you know, because I don't want to be here either. So things were looking up for me, I thought, at the time. I got a job in a supermarket. And as a 14-year-old working full-time, I suddenly had a lot of money. And it's interesting, when you have a lot of money, suddenly you have a lot of freedom. But unfortunately, at 14, I didn't have a lot of boundaries. And one of my other best friends at the time had decided to become a prospect for a gang, uh, the Road Knights in Invercargill, which means it's kind of like an intern. You know, they, they do work for the gang. Sometimes it might be domestic jobs, doing the dishes, serving in the bar. Sometimes it might be other stuff. So at 14, I started hanging out with these guys. I had new freedom, I had no boundaries, I had money, and I was hanging out with a gang. And things were kind of cool. I, at 14, started taking drugs for the first time, and I always thought I had an addictive personality, so I'd embrace things wholeheartedly. So it wasn't just a weekend thing, taking marijuana, it became an everyday thing. I could tick up whatever I wanted at this gang place. I could tick up drugs. I could tick up alcohol. I started taking LSD, which is a hallucinogenic. And everything I started and tried new, it would become just consuming. It wouldn't be something I just did in the weekend. It would be something I did every day because I just needed more. I felt like I needed something in my life that was missing. Needless to say, gangs aren't necessarily always the best places to hang out, especially when you're a young girl. And uh, I remember during that time just getting in a lot of trouble. I remember seeing a lot of people beaten up really badly. I remember being really afraid as people would threaten me. I remember just awful times. So by the age of 18, things just come to a head. At the age of 18, my granddad died. He was the one person in the world that I was really close to and who I knew loved me, without a doubt. And I remember the day of his funeral, standing outside in the rain and screaming out to God. Now, at that stage, I didn't even know if God existed. I had no real solid theories, but I knew I had to blame someone, right? So I was like, God, how come you took him? Why didn't you take me? Why didn't you take me? I don't want to be here. And it felt like a part of me died that day. I remember saying to myself, no one will ever love you. He was the only one. And I lived with that. That year, my troublesome intermediate friend, her parents had decided, actually, you guys are in way too much trouble. You need to move to Australia. My boyfriend at the time, his family decided to move to Auckland. And my good friend from the gang went to prison for eight years. And suddenly, I just felt really alone. Going forward a couple of years, I decided, actually, I don't want to hang out with these gangs anymore. This is not the life for me, and I feel like I could probably do a bit better. So I got a job as a dancer in a nightclub, 
because uh, I like dancing and I couldn't believe anyone was going to pay me for it. So <laughs> I'm quite quickly after that met my first fiancé. I've only had two. So the first one wasn't, wasn't particularly good. He was a hairdresser, which was kind of good because I got free haircuts. Uh, but he was also a drug dealer. So I got free drugs. And uh, we decided to move to Queenstown. And just before we moved, I realised not only was he a charming man to me, but he was a charming man to many. And I remember finding out this information that actually he'd been involved with several other women and... It's like something in me broke and I just cried for what felt like days. I thought, something's seriously broken. I, I don't think I'm ever going to stop crying. But anyway, I made the really bad decision to still move to Queenstown with him. And I'd probably only been there a few months when I realised something's seriously wrong with me. I would wake up every morning crying. I would... Uh, if I wasn't working, I'd stay in bed all day. I'd keep all the curtains closed. I wouldn't let the sunlight in. And I just didn't want to be around anymore. I uh, sought out some help and got diagnosed with clinical depression, which is probably more at the bipolar end of things back then, and um, got some medication and started feeling better. But the unfortunate thing at the time is because I was still living the lifestyle I was living, I was still drinking, I was still taking drugs, it just really messed with me and mixing some medication with that. And I remember hearing voices. I remember having thoughts that I knew weren't mine, telling me to do things. I often felt really scared to be out and about because I didn't know if I was going to hurt myself or if I was going to hurt someone else. And so I started staying at home a lot. I didn't like to go out. I'd sleep all day. I got put on a sickness benefit because I was incapable of working. And at the time, I was actually incapable of anything. I couldn't... I had my flatmates would tell me when to eat. They'd tell me when to take my pills. And I really couldn't do anything. I did have this brilliant idea at the time, <laughs> which come from a really bad place. And I got a job as a stripper. And I thought, wow, you know, this will fix me. I'll give me something to do. I'll feel good. I like dancing. So, you know, what's, what's the big deal? But the reality is it just made things more complicated. And... It messed with my mental state even more. I had a real hatred for men, and I started treating people so badly, people I would meet, and I didn't even know. I'd assume that they were going to treat me badly, so I would treat them badly first. I decided to move back to Invercargill with some friends, and the first week I was in Invercargill, I met a young man at a bar and brought him home. In case you're considering that, don't do it. It's a very bad idea. Uh, because he didn't leave. And it turned out his father was involved with the black power. Within a week, they'd given us a car, they'd given us some part-time work, and had got us selling drugs for them. And I spent a year in a really chaotic state. On top of everything I'd already been through, I was taking drugs that were just making me feel like a zombie. I had no idea what was going on. I had no idea what day it was. During that stage, I, I, I was, uh, some people broke into my home and I was physically attacked. I remember at, in that point of time, my boyfriend's father raped me. I just had a whole lot of things going on that were so bad. And I thought, I need to escape. So Australia, I decided, was my salvation. <laughs> I'd seen the brochures, the beautiful beaches, the beautiful people. And I thought, if we can just... Go there, things will be better. 
But who knows, when you run away from your problems, they come with you. We arrived in Brisbane, there was five of us in a one-bedroom cabin. We were in a caravan park and we were surrounded by junkies. There was needles lying around everywhere. Uh, We were too scared to go to the bathroom alone or the shower because you'd hear people getting beaten often. And it just wasn't the place that I thought it would be. I ended up in a relationship with a junkie at the time from a really bad family and I just really was over life. And I remember coming into the year 2000 and uh, there was a lot of talk about Y2K. Now, I don't even understand what that was about at the time other than computers stopping, the end of the world. I was like, great, I've had enough anyway. So I'm pretty excited about this idea. But I did think I am not going to die in Australia. (laughs) Sorry to any Australians. Um, So I thought I need to get home. So I bought a one-way ticket to New Zealand. I said to my boyfriend at the time, look, I just need to get home and see my family. Been gone for a few years and uh, I'll figure out how to get back afterwards. So I went to Invercargill and the world didn't end, which I was quite disappointed about at the time. Um, and I remember meeting up with my neighbours again. So there was a family of three kids. The youngest was my age and a dad that lived next door to me for years and years. And they'd all started going to church. And I thought, wow, that's weird. Uh, and my friend started coming over and telling me all about God. Now, she used to say things like, you know, God talks to me. I'm like, really? Why would he talk to you? Like, that's weird. My philosophy always was, if there's a God, then he hates me. And my life reaffirmed that continually. So I I thought it was strange that God would even bother talking to someone if he was real. So she kept asking me to come to church, come to church every week, every week, persisting. About the third week, I was like, okay, I'll come to church. So I went to church, never been in church before, and it was quite weird, and it was quite scary. And I remember not understanding much of what was going on. It was a Western Carrier meeting. Does anyone remember Western Carrier healing meetings? Yeah, so there was people being prayed for for healing, uh, which I thought was kind of cool. I come from a spiritual background. Uh, My mother, my grandmother, and my great-grandmother all read tarot cards. They all read tea leaves. They all read normal cards, and so I did as well. So I knew there was a spiritual realm. And so seeing someone with a gift of healing, that that seemed kind of normal and cool. But other than that, I didn't really understand a lot of the language that people were speaking. It almost felt like they were a bit foreign. But I remember looking around, and people looked happy. And I didn't understand why. Why are there so many people here, and they look so happy? Like, do they know something that I don't know? Turns out they did. And I, I came forward that night. And I gave my heart to Jesus. Now, most of that was because my friend was pulling up my arm, like, put your arm up, put your arm up. And it just seemed awkward not to. And I remember nothing really significant happened at the time, other than it felt like I joined a club because a lot of strangers were hugging me and saying, oh, we're so excited to see you next week. And I was like, okay. I wasn't sure why I was coming back next week. But I remember telling my friends, you know, I've started going to church, and oh, I gave my heart to Jesus. But people didn't really understand. They were like, 
that's weird, or maybe that's just a phase. I remember there was a couple of psychics I used to see regularly, one of them I did spiritual development classes with, and I'd gone to see her, told her I was going to church, and she's like, oh, you don't want to be a Christian. Like, maybe you should look into some other religions. Christians are just, they're not good. You shouldn't do that. And I just felt really confused. I was like, why do people think that I shouldn't be a Christian? That's weird. Now, I started going to a church in Invercargill called the Christian Center, and uh, the pastor there is Pastor Ian Wright. And he'd been on sabbatical the whole time I'd been coming along to church. He was away for about five or six weeks. And I knew he was coming back this coming weekend. And I'd said to him, or I'd said to God when I was praying, God, if you're real and you can hear me, then I want that pastor of the church to say something to me, to know that you, you can hear me. So I went to church, and it was my first time seeing Pastor Ian Ride. He preached a message. But I did notice every now and again he'd kind of stop and look at me. And I was like, hmm, that's weird. And at the end of the service, just as he was finishing up things, he pointed me out in the crowd, and he said, for some reason God is highlighting you. He said, it's like everybody has been black and white, and you're in technicolor, and God is speaking to you, and he wants you to know he's with you and he hears you. And I remember just crying and crying. And I thought, oh my goodness, God is real. God heard me pray. And this man I don't know just said it. And, and something in me changed. I had such an excitement, such a hunger. And I, I wanted to know more. And so I started going to church a bit more. Every week I had this little notebook. It was like those, you know, those random little red notebooks you get for school. And I'd write scriptures in it as I would read things. I'd be like, oh yeah, that's good. Or I'd hear things. I'd be like, oh yeah, that's good. And now I I wonder why I did that because it's all in the Bible. But maybe it was to keep track of things. And I just kept writing things and asking questions. And I was so hungry. But I was still taking drugs. Because I found Jesus and I knew he loved me because people kept telling me that all the time. I'm like, I get it. He loves me. Not sure why that kept happening. But I was still taking drugs. And I remember I felt like God was calling me to get baptized. And the night before my baptism, I had a friend over. Him and I were doing some drugs. And all of a sudden, I felt really bad. That didn't normally happen. And I thought, oh, I don't know if this is right. I thought, that's a weird thought too. The next day I got baptised. And the really cool thing about baptism is it's symbolic of your death. You die with Jesus. The old creation is dead and you arise from the waters a new creation. So I got baptised and I was born again. And I never from that day touched drugs. It's like God supernaturally took that addiction from me. And I wasn't even looking to stop. I didn't think it was wrong. I didn't think it was bad, but God knew that needs to go. And so he took it from me. Yeah, that was pretty cool. Uh, Just saying. Anyway, I started getting these words from people about leadership, about preaching, and I knew God was calling me uh, into leadership. And so I went to Bible college. I got a job at church, and my life just started to turn around. I remember uh, being born again was like a whole new world. It was like a whole new life. I could feel things again that I'd never felt, good and bad. And it was just amazing. It was amazing to step into a new world, into a new life. Oh, I forgot to share a scripture. (laughs) Just before I got a job for church, I remember my plan was, oh, I'll 
go back to Australia where my boyfriend was and all my stuff and I'll work for a year or so and then I'll come back here to Invercargill. And one night God, I was reading my Bible and God highlighted a scripture in James 4 verse 13. It says, now listen you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this city or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. What do you even know will happen tomorrow? What is your life? You are but a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is God's will, we will live and do this or that. I was like, wow, God can speak to you in the Bible. <laughs> like That was mind-blowing. So I thought, well, I really think I should listen to this advice. And I stayed in Invercargill and I just never went back to my junkie boyfriend or my staff. And God made a way where there seemed to be no way. Amen. Hey, can we get the musos up? I just want to pray for some people. I've got a couple of words, I think, possibly percolating. You guys are quiet, are you all right? <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Jesus, give yourself a wee shake. Wake up. You know, prophetically, just in the last few weeks, obviously we've got a lot of stuff going on in our nation. A lot of it is around COVID, as Josh said. But I feel like prophetically, I've just had a picture in the last few weeks I thought I'd share with you guys. And uh, I'm just reminded of the scripture that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities in heavenly places. And I just see, it's like some nets are being cast out. The enemy's cast out nets. And they've got a lot of people caught up in things that they don't need to be caught up in. And God wants to remind us our enemy is not COVID. Our enemy is not vaccines. It's not the government. These are all things that the enemy uses to ensnare us and our own ideas, our opinions that we get caught up with, that we get distracted by. These are tactics of the enemy that cause division, that cause fear, And I just feel like God is really calling us back to surrender to Him because the reality is the only answer in the situation is Jesus. And I'd love to pray for some people today, particularly in the areas of mental health, if you've struggled with depression, anxiety, mental health issues. You know, God makes a way where there seems no way. I struggled with depression probably six or seven years. And it's not necessarily that I was just depressed, but something was wrong in my thinking. Something was wrong in my mind. And I feel like God's wanting to bring freely, freedom and healing in that area. Because the root of depression, the root of anxiety is fear. And fear binds us up. Fear traps us. So I'd love to be able to pray for you if that's something that you struggle with. Also, for anyone who feels stirred in the gifts of the Spirit, I love the prophetic and would just love to be able to activate you afresh if you had a passion to prophesy you've had a, a passion to step into things but you feel like you've, you've held back because you've been afraid you know I believe that the prophetic is not just a gift for the church but it's a gift for everyday life and it doesn't have to be weird or strange because God's always speaking to us the reality is if we don't hear God daily then we're not listening 
because He's always speaking to us. He's always got something to say because He loves us and He wants us to share that with the world around us. So if, if you have a heart for the prophetic as well or you feel like God's calling you deeper into hearing His voice and connecting intimately with Him, I'd love to pray for you as well. I know we've got a team here that, that can pray too, but I just want to pray a prayer of dedication afresh, okay? I know sometimes you might do a salvation prayer, but I feel God's calling some of us just to rededicate our lives, to remind us what's actually important. So how about I pray, and if you agree, you could say amen at the end. Father God, we give thanks for the opportunity to gather together. We give thanks, Lord, that we are your children, that you love us. You love us too much to leave us where you are, where we are that You transform us from glory to glory. Lord, that You're working in us, that You are alive and active. Lord, thank You that You remind us of Your goodness. Lord, You are the one true God. There is none like You. And today we choose to invite You afresh to be Lord of our lives. We declare You are Lord of all. You are Lord over our thoughts, over our feelings, over our emotions. You're Lord over our theology, our opinions. You're a Lord over everything. Lord, and if there's areas in our life where You haven't been Lord, we just relinquish them afresh. We release them afresh to You. We let go of anything that would hold us back from You. We let go of anything that would come in the way, Lord. We give thanks for your amazing love to us. We turn from sin. We turn from partnering with things that aren't of you. We turn from distractions. And today we look to you afresh as our Lord and Saviour. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Jesus. I just want to look at you for a minute. You're so good looking. <laughs> Especially you. Something about you just caught my eye there. Yeah, you. <laughs> What's your name? Sorry? Tracy. You've got a lovely smile. Smiley people catch my eye, I think. There's something about you. Let me just figure out what that is. I feel like God's just wanting to say something to you. There's a... Um, there's a, a, a restoration. The word restoration comes to mind. I feel like something's been happening for you. I feel like God is wanting to release healing. And I feel like the enemy's stolen something from you. And it's like you've walked through some hard times. And, and I don't know if you share those with people. It's almost like you've been squashed down. That The enemy has held you back. But I feel like God is releasing a new freedom for you. Can you just... Put your arms towards Tracy. Put your hands out. Lord God, those things that the enemy has stolen, Lord, we declare uh, will be returned a hundredfold. Lord, where there is areas of hurt in her heart, Lord, those things that the enemy has said and done, Lord, I come against any lies of the enemy. I come against the whispers of the enemy. I declare healing and health over her, Lord protection afresh over her mind. I give thanks. There is calling. There's a calling on your life and the enemy's trying to squash you because he sees the calling. He sees the destiny. He sees the purpose. And I speak to the spirit within. And I say, arise warrior, arise daughter. There is more for you. God has more for you. And I, I just feel like God is drawing people around you because there's an army within you. There's an anointing. There's a calling 
There's, there's a voice. You have a voice. As I talked about before, about ministries rising up, you have a voice. Lord, and I just release that healing afresh. Healing afresh. Deep into her heart. Thank you, Jesus. Pour it out. Pour it out. Pour it out. Mm. i see you afterwards. Jesus. Let's stand. We're going to worship in a minute. I'm just going to keep looking at you because you're all so good looking. if you feel like something spoke to you that I mentioned before, if you've struggled with depression, mental illness some of you here hmm, I wasn't going to put this out there but I'm going to anyway I feel like there's people here and you, you've journeyed through abuse some sort of abuse and, and maybe that's a sexual nature, maybe you've been in a violent relationship there's, there's people who have just walked through some stuff and I feel like Maybe you've dealt with it, and if you have, that's cool. But if you feel like you haven't, I just want you to come on forward because I feel like God's God's just calling some people just to surrender those things. Like maybe you've held back because of shame or because of fear. God wants you to know that you're a new creation. That shame won't hold you back any longer. Jesus, shalom. 